BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Oh, 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 yes, indeed. It is The Bill Press Show, and thank you for tuning in here on a Thursday, all day long, August 24th. Going to be a short work week for me. Glad you are all here today and have been here all week with a cavalcade of network stars to fill in while Bill is out. Uh, I was out earlier in the week, but I'm here for the remainder of the week. And folks, you might be stuck with me. Thank you for tuning in, of course, to the Bill Price Show. We are live all around the country on your radio, on your TV, on Free Speech TV, and on the internet. Just look at us up on the Young Turks Network, youtube.com slash the Bill Price Show. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Also have our podcast out on iTunes and anywhere else you find your on-demand audio. We are there live. Well, not live. It's on tape. It's live to tape. Thanks to the good good work of Jamie Benson, our producer in there. Hello, Jamie. How are you, sir? Uh, good morning, Peter. We have lots to catch up. So we have- great for you to rejoin us. I've been gone all week. I've been uh, I've been down south doing the eclipse thing. I'll Resting talk- those tired eyes of yours. I'll, I'll talk about that in in, uh, in but only brief moments. If you stay with us here on the Bill Press Show, gosh Almighty, what a great show we have lined up today! Uh, our friend Alexi McCammon from Axios will be joining us, along with Alex Seitzwald and Paige Lavender. the The best name of any guest we've ever had on the show. Paige Lavender. Until we get Mookie Betts. Until we get Mookie Betts. Paige Lavender. That's just a delightful name to wake up to. Paige Lavender. Good morning. Lots of other good stories coming up, but first, Jimmy Benson. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of stories for you on this Thursday morning. Christopher Cantwell, the asshole (laughs) white supremacist who you may remember leading the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia back on August 14th, has officially turned himself into police. If I, excuse me. There he is. Poor Chris Cantwell, uh, after posting a crying video of himself on YouTube, has finally turned himself into police. Warrants had been obtained for Cantwell's arrest on two counts of the illegal use of tear gas or other gases and one count of malicious bodily injury with a injury, excuse me, with a caustic substance. Uh, he's currently being held in Lynchburg, Virginia. Well, well, please, 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 if you're in prison and Christopher Cantwell happens to join you in Gen Pop, please give him a warm welcome 
Well, Please. We want more tears. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 want, I want more crying from white supremacists. Please give him a, a warm lock-up welcome from your friends here at the Bill Press Show. Some more good news out of the NFL. Yep, out of the National Football League, believe it or not. We now have our first official openly gay coach. Oh, no kidding. Not only is it an openly gay coach, it's an openly gay female coach. We have our first openly LGBT female coach Katie Sowers of the San Francisco 49ers. 49ers. That's right. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good for them. That's great. She will also become the NFL's second full-time assistant female coach this year. So she's breaking barriers. She's only 31 years old. She's working with wide receivers. In fact, Katie Sowers also has a past playing pro football in the Women's Football Alliance. Not only did she play, she also helped lead the United States to the Women's World title and gold medal in 2013. So Katie Sowers, real American badass. I don't want to take anything away from this. She's doing all this at 31? That's remarkable. 31 years old. That's remarkable. It's nuts. And all the players, if you go ahead and read the uh, the article on Outsports.com, which is a fantastic website for LGBT athletes, highlighting LGBT athletes, you'll see the, the, some of the players in that team are just absolutely in love with her. She says she's a fantastic coach. So That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, look, that's that's uh, not only is, I, I mean, I would say the NFL is a really hard place for uh, anybody, any member of the LGBTQ community to fit in, but also a, a woman uh, in the NFL. That's that's really, really tough, I think. Big time. Hey, really quickly, I, I don't want to read this full story because it's also kind of sad, but did you read the story about the grandmother that was beaten up and had her head shaved because she played the Steelers game too loud on oh Saturday God. in preseason? Really? Yeah. Wait, she's a Steelers fan? Yeah, her relatives locked her in her bedroom because she was watching TV, made her turn it on the radio, then shaved her head. Eh. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogbert sitting in today on a Thursday, which is a Monday for me. That's right. I was out this week. I took a little vacation. I could do that, right? I'm allowed to do that, right? I'm not Satan. Can I, I did. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna take a little. I'm gonna. I'm gonna back up here. I know this is like so, so tired and old now, but uh, did you did you get involved in any of the eclipse activities, Jamie? Uh, yeah, because you can see a partial uh, eclipse here, right? So Monday morning, I woke up, came to do the show with Sabrina Siddiqui. She did a fantastic job. Uh, but I was hoping to find solar eclipse glasses for the both of us so that we could have a visual effect on the show. Right? Yeah, in the morning to you know do our big. Eclipse preview. And, you ever looked at uh, those things? You can't see anything. No, I, I mean, I, you, could, I, you could only see the sun. Spoiler, I didn't get a, a, oh, didn't a pair. Get I went to the 7-Eleven on Barracks Row. They had no idea what I was talking about. The other 7-Eleven on Penn Ave, they laughed at me because they sold out a long time ago. <laughs> sure. Uh, so what I ended up doing was I poked a hole yeah. in a paper plate. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got yeah, these yeah. French doors in my studio apartment. Yes. Where the sun just comes, you know, flowing in uh, during the day. And uh, held the paper plate outside, and you could see the little, um, you know, I checked it. And it worked. Checked it, like, every five minutes to see, you know, the Pac-Man, the bite. Yeah. Isn't that wild? It was pretty cool. I went to the beach in South Carolina because we had totality there, the total eclipse there. You, was you did reason. it proper, yeah. It was the whole reason we went there. <clears throat> we got there super early. I know nobody cares. I'm not, not going to show you guys slides or anything for my vacation. But we got there really early, and it was cloud cover all day. And we were just thinking, oh, my God, I can't see the sun. We're not going to see anything. It was... And then all of a sudden, 
About an hour before the eclipse begins, a hole in the sky opens up. It's nothing, just a hole in the clouds. And the sun, and it just parked right there for the next like hour and a half. We got to see the whole thing. It was a wholly moving experience. It was wonderful. Everybody was friendly. Everybody was nice. It was just that, like you look online, right? You look at all these people just like out in the street, like together. That was a, that was uplifting, right? That, that makes this is an amazing time to be alive. It really was an amazing time. First of all, I know that I know that not everybody believes that the eclipse is a real thing. I don't believe that the eclipse is a real thing. I think this is purely a false flag to make y'all think that uh, that uh, <clears throat> there is not a floating Death Star and floating Death ship flying outside uh, uh, of the world. Uh, that that the Clintons and the Soroses and the Bilderbergs all put together and put up there in the sky. Uh, I've seen the video. You've seen the video. We got a lot of papers on this. We're going to release this at infowars.com. Uh, I, I, look, I was I fight. Excuse me. <laughs> I, I like. I'm not a joiner. I don't usually fall for the hype, but the hype was very hype, and I totally bought into it. Guilty as charged. What are you going to do about it? But I will say, uh, I I did not keep up with the news um, like I probably should have while I was on vacation until the God the, bless you until the the Phoenix rally. Yeah, I thought to miss. Myself, I was like, well, this is probably going to be something. I was watching this happen right the day leading up to the rally, and uh, you know all the the sort of the the bluster and the buildup was. He's not going to pardon Sheriff Joe. There's There are remarks in the prompter, so like it's going to be a pretty straightforward speech. That was sort of how the White House was, was, was prepping us for this thing. But I was like, it's 107 degrees in Arizona. You get the time change there. He, he doesn't do well with these things. He's an old man with a very fragile, fragile mind. Something's going to give. Something's going to give. And it gave. He he gave an absolute. I'm sure you know you guys talked about it a lot with Igor yesterday, so we're we're going to get too deep into it. But I do want to play a little bit from the the, the rally. And just wait, give, wait before you go into that. Yeah, let's do it. Can we talk about uh, you? You talked about the solar eclipse, but you didn't talk about what Trump did. Oh God! Oh my God! I I spent the entire day thinking that this was fake because someone mentioned it to me at the beach. So like at the beach, I put my phone away. Right, because I was, which is like I was trying to be in the moment. So, like the, for the hours that the eclipse was taking place down there, I put my phone away and I was not going to watch anything. I just wanted to be there, be present. Right. So, somebody at the beach comes over. They're like, "Did you see that Trump looked right at the eclipse?" And I go, "No, he didn't." And they show me this, the shot of him looking at the eclipse. Don't look. Don't look. That's the best part. <laughs> He and his wife go out onto the balcony at the White House. They have their glasses on. And then he takes his glasses off and looks right at the eclipse, which is like, I went to see the eclipse with my 12-year-old and my 9-year-old, and both of them were mortified at the idea of looking at the sun without their glasses on. Meanwhile, Mike Pence and his wife having a nice afternoon at the Naval Observatory with a bunch of young African-American children that they use as a photo op. There it is. It's coming back out. It's coming back out. All right. Get up there and take a look at it. Mike Pence probably... protection. Mike Pence probably thought the world was ending. That guy doesn't know well enough to blow hot soup. He's like one of those cows that goes to the barn when the eclipse happens because he thinks it's nighttime. Like, Mike Pence probably went and had Mother tuck him into bed because the sun was blotting out, was being blotted out. Mother... Please bring me my milk. It's time for bed. Mother, prepare the disaster chamber. 
<laughs> Mike Pitts probably thought <laughs> Mike Pitts thought it was sundown. He's like he has the, the mental acuity of a chicken. You know, these chickens that start crowing during the eclipse or when the eclipse is over because they think that the sun is coming back up. That's Mike Pitts. Mike Pitts can't look up in a rainstorm or he'd drown. He's the dumbest guy in Washington. He saw the eclipse. He probably thought he was dying. Mother, the clouds are parting. I, I think I think the eclipse is over. It's it's morning, mother. <laughs> Mike Pence. Yeah, it's like a third grader. Anyway, Phoenix. Yeah, anyway, Trump went to Phoenix the day after the eclipse, uh, after looking directly into the eclipse, and was completely unhinged. I have to say, by the way, I, I'm going to get there, y'all. You're just going to have to work with me here a little bit. I'm a little all over the place. Because uh, I want to park on his, his Charlottesville comments that he that he made at, the, uh, at, at this rally in Phoenix. But having spent some time in South Carolina, I can assure you that the Confederacy is uh, might not be thriving, but it's alive. And it's got its it's got footing. How many flags did you count? Flags. All right. I usually look for flags when I go down there because I always see them. Uh, if you drive ninety five through specifically through South Carolina, but parts of North Carolina as well, uh, you will absolutely see there was there were a couple of two gigantic gigantic confederate flag i was gonna ask are we at a point now where instead of counting the flags you're ranking the flags by how Pretty big much. they are actually yes because normally i'm like oh god there's another there's a confederate flag and you'll always see them on the back of usually pick em up trucks in the south but you'll see them on the back of cars yeah usually with a trump sticker on it as well and i look i i, I honestly i really am trying to be a little more open-minded about the trump supporters which i not so much that I think that they might have a point, but because, like, we need to reach out to them. But if I see a Trump sticker and a Confederate flag sticker on the back of a, like, of a pick em up truck, forget it. I, I lose all sense of, like, we should reach out to these people because they're just out of it. But there were a couple of gigantic Confederate flags. There was one point where we were driving down the highway and there looked to be on two consecutive overpasses, uh, what looked like Civil War reenactors. He looked like they had on Civil War uh, uh, costumes with Confederate flags hanging out over the, the overpass. So anybody riding on the interstate saw the flags, uh, which with my family in the car and everything, we rolled down the window and gave them the finger, which was, which was pretty sad. Whole sat- family. I have to say it was pretty satisfying. It's the Ogburn way. Magnus goes, can I give my middle finger? I go, yeah, sure. What the hell? What, what? <laughs> He's dying. I was like, yeah, whatever. These guys are- Start them young. They deserve a middle finger, right? That's not bad, is it? There's a moment, there's a time when that's okay. That, that felt okay. But there were so, there were a lot of uh there, there were a lot of Confederate flags and it really the bigger thing for me is not so much oh god uh there's another one or there's another one there's another one. It was every time I saw one it was striking. Like we we live in these uh, this day and age where like if you see a Confederate flag out in the wild, it really is jarring to see. I made the conscious decision to not discuss Charlottesville with most people that I ran into in South Carolina. Um, 
uh, uh, specifically about Trump's comments, I should say, and like what he's had to say about the whole thing. Sounds like you did a very good job at preventing yourself from blowing your brains out. Yeah, look, I, I, it already, I, I already do a lot of drinking when I'm down there because I have to deal with you know Trump voting relatives and and other. I mean, just South Carolina in general. But this rally in Phoenix, boy, oh boy, oh boy! I mean, he just went so far into bizarro Trump world. It's a humdinger, man. A humdinger is a good way to say it. He uh, he doesn't get it. He never is going to get it. And the thing that I think is so screwed up about all of this is that his enablers and his supporters give him enough wiggle room to declare a victory or to find some sort of moral high ground to take when things blow up in his face. For example, he did issue a statement on Charlottesville. It didn't he did put one out early on, didn't say everything that it needed to say, but in his words, he's just like, "No, look, I spoke out against hatred and people won't give me any credit." Just like they don't want to report that I spoke out forcefully against hatred, bigotry and violence and strongly condemned the neo-Nazis, the white supremacists, and the KKK. Jamie, uh, you, like me, are an observer of the news. Uh, do you remember him strongly and forcefully shutting down the neo-Nazis and the KKK? Uh, I do not recall such a statement being made. I missed that. I saw a lot of Trump coverage. I saw a lot of Charlottesville coverage. I don't remember him forcefully shutting it down. I remember giving them um, pretty wide berth to practice and, and preach their hate. I do remember that. There's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it, and you don't have any doubt about it either. You know, this has really been a remarkable uh, week, week and a half for Donald Trump as president. I mean, the <sighs> the ignorance... The pig-headedness to see this, look at Charlottesville in its face, and the takeaway is that there were bad people on both sides, and that when you put out one small statement that doesn't say nearly what you need to say, that that's enough as President of the United States, oh my God. We condemn in the strongest possible terms... This egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. On many sides. On many sides. In the strongest possible terms, too. Strongest possible terms. So I don't think any other statement can knock down that first one, if if we're being real about it. No, not at all. Not at all. By the way, we're- On many sides. Many sides. By the way, we're on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show, uh- Arturian Slater, what happened to Alex Jones? Caught the heat stroke? I got a little sun while I was uh, in South Carolina. I don't appreciate that. I don't. I didn't have a heat stroke. I just got a little sun. That's all. Comparing me to Alex Jones. Uh, Your forehead is even more visible than before. What? what? I'm, t- I'm talking about in the picture of Alex Jones. Like, oh, oh, I thought, we were, I thought we were playing around oh, here I with see, the, see, uh, the actual picture. Yeah. Follow me on uh, at Peter Ogburn. I put my, my photo up of me preparing for the show listen uh, i got a big forehead i'm not one to speak so. 
I'm a. I'm, I'm I got a now. Couple. I'm self-conscious. Do I have a big forehead? I look. I got a lot of problems. Is a big forehead one of them? Just a couple of inches away from a Costa five head. <laughs> no one knows who I am. It's fine. <laughs> uh. Anyway, um, you know, and then the, the second clip, the, the 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 following clip, Jamie, from the, the the rally where he talks about I must be racist. I mean, this is just so crazy to me that he just goes up there in front of the world. You got to remember, he's going out there in front of the world and saying this. He didn't do it on time. Why did it take a day? He must be a racist. It took a day. No, it, because it took a day, that's not what makes you a racist. It's because of the stuff that you said was racist. It was racist, or at the very least, it was apologetic to racists. By the way, I, I read the tweet yesterday. I don't, have, I don't have it handy at the present moment, but Richard Spencer, uh, likely the most visible white supremacist, white nationalist at the moment, yeah. uh, tweeted. Also, that, talk about guys with big foreheads. Yeah, tweeted during the, uh, in a bad fashion sense, uh, tweeted oh. during the Phoenix rally that... Um, Trump did not condemn white supremacists and that he did condemn Antifa. Antifa! 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 <laughs> you know, I love, that when, I love when Trump... This is going to be a dated reference because not everybody watched David Letterman, but it's a very Letterman-esque cadence when, he, when he's like... He just like this like mumbles like hey, we got these protesters outside and they got their they got their gas masks on and they got uh, the the clubs because they got to be ready for Antifa. <laughs> Sorry, I thought Antifa. Anyway, uh, he goes on to talk about all of the countries, all of the countries that he loves, no matter where you're from, whether you're from here in America or from wherever you're from. He loves everyone. He's a lover. He's a lover, I- not a fighter. I didn't say I love you because you're black or I love you because you're white or I love you because you're from Japan <laughs> or you're from China, China or you're from Kenya Whoa. or you're from Scotland or Sweden. I love all the people of our country. Could he show any of those countries on a map? The answer is a no. Japan. Japan. China. China. How yeah. many syllables does he put into the word Japan? It's like five. Japan. Japan. <laughs> Japan has two syllables. Japan. Japan. I. I can t- I, I have to tell you this. Uh, when I did watch the rally while I was watching it, I'm not too proud to admit this. I was very drunk. And I have to tell you, if you've never watched a Donald Trump speech while totally hammered, folks, that is a powerful, powerful drug. Japan! (laughs) No, you did not. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Oh... We are streaming live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. YouTube.com slash the Bill Press Show, folks. Go check that out. We're going to be putting out uh, clips all throughout the day there as well. We're going to move on from the rally. We're going to be talking about that with our friend Alexi McCammond. Japan. (laughs) You know, it's really easy to make him sound super drunk. 
which he claims he's never he's never been drunk. He doesn't drink or whatever. He sounds wild drunk. I don't have the sniff handy, but uh, from the debates when he was constantly sniffing, but the episode of Seinfeld with the sniffing accountant was on last night. Oh, really? <laughs> That's so good. He borrowed that uh, character from Steve Bannon. Completely, completely uh, ripped off. Um. Oh, by the way, Phil, our friend Phil just tweeted at me. He showed me some pictures. He got a uh, went to small town Kentucky for the eclipse and got a great picture of it. Uh, and he says he didn't see one rebel flag. I'm retweeting that from the Bill Press Show account in case anybody wants to go. He, uh, Phil takes great photos, by the way. He's a DC guy. He takes all the great photos. I just retweeted that. At BP Show is where we are if you want to see that. So uh, the other big story that's happening, uh, it's the top of Drudge this morning. It's a big story on the Washington Post. Conflict between Trump and Congress escalates as difficult agenda looms. Lost in all of this stuff between the Russia connection and... Uh, you know, uh, Donald Trump's war plan with Afghanistan and everything else going on is that the Republicans are still going to try and push through their agenda because they have the House, they have the Senate, they have the presidency. But great, great reporting in the Washington Post this morning uh, about how Trump and Congress are just not getting along. And it's it's for all of the grief that Barack Obama got, and sometimes rightfully so, he didn't really work reach out to Congress the way that members of Congress wanted him to. And I'm not saying that what he should or shouldn't do, because it was his presidency. He could sort of, you know, do what he do what he wants. I think that he probably could have gotten more done had he spent some more time reaching out, not not across the aisle necessarily, but like visiting with members of the House and members of the Senate uh, and putting in that work. Uh, Donald Trump doesn't seem to have much interest in doing that either. Probably because he doesn't understand what the hell is going on. I don't think he understands how government works. But it does put Republicans in a terrible, terrible position because he's out there beating up. Let's say you're from Arizona where he gave this rally and where there were not nearly as many people as he claimed to be. Let's say you're from Arizona. But did you see somebody, the Trump supporters were sharing pictures of the, um, I, think, I think it was the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, parade crowd. No. As uh, as the Phoenix crowd. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I, there were, reporters shared plenty of photos from that rally that showed it was not full. No, there's, there were definitely lines. Like, I mean, it's it was a high security. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But he didn't, it was not a, a jam packed house. Yeah. I mean, there, there was room to get in. But let's say you're from Arizona. In the past two weeks alone, Donald Trump has smacked down John McCain and Jeff Flake, and it appears as though he is actively rooting for Jeff Flake's primary challenger. I forget that woman's name, but he uh, Kelly Ward. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, is actively rooting for Kelly Ward, the primary challenger for Jeff Flake. So, like, there's been a long-standing rule in the Senate about campaigning against. Uh, members of the Senate. But this is whole new territory. He's not only campaigning against members of the Senate, he's campaigning against a Republican. <laughs> so, like, how is he going to work with these people? Because Jeff Flake is a, is a fairly well-liked guy. John McCain 
everybody loves that guy in the Senate. I don't. But, I mean, everybody seems to like John McCain. He's, like, one of the most senior, well-respected guys there. Before meeting uh, or before doing his rally, he met with two potential challengers to Jeff Flake. Oh, my God. According to Politico. This is from Alex Eisenstadt's story. Uh, quote, both are considering running against Flake. This is Treasurer Jeff DeWitt and former state GOP chairman Robert Graham. <laughs> Trump ripped the Arizona senator during the brief meeting, calling him the Flake, according to three people who provided an account of the discussion. Like, I know Trump gets a lot of uh, uh, accolades for being such a smart person branding guys to smart right. marketing type guy but like this is so stupid like my little kids could could come up with flake jeff flake or jeff the flake and republicans all line up to talk about what a, what a brilliant guy he is guy's got half a brain if you were really creative he would take the movie poster for the jerk and put jeff flake's <laughs> face in it and then change the title to the flake <laughs> free ideas free here. idea Donald free idea Trump. it's right here you're welcome. He watches uh, a lot of morning television. Does he watch the Bill Press show? I feel, I feel pretty confident in saying he does not. But maybe it's free idea. But uh, what I love about all of this is this now puts Paul Ryan out in front to where he has to go and sort of be the face of the Republican Party because Donald Trump can't do it. He's busy beating the tar out of his fellow Republicans. So Paul Ryan has to go up there and say, oh, we're going to stay unified. Well, I think the president feels that that's, 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 a, that's a strategy that works for him. Uh, I would just say that I think it's important that we all stay unified as Republicans to, to complete our agenda. House Speaker Paul Ryan, this is from that uh, Washington Post story that I just referenced. House Speaker Paul Ryan played down the prospect of a shutdown, telling reporters that even if the wall debate remains unresolved, Congress probably would pass a stopgap extension of funding to prevent a lapse when the fiscal year year ends on September 30th. So Paul Ryan has to go out there and remember, by the way, this is, the, this is all about the wall, which Donald Trump said he was going to build and have Mexico pay for. This is all about that. And Paul Ryan is now having is has been put in the position where he has to go out and defend this stupid boondoggle that is the US Mexican wall. Here's more Paul Ryan. About the well, shutdown. Think, well, I don't think a government shutdown is necessary, and I don't think most people want to see a government shutdown, um, ourselves included. I don't know. I kinda want to see a government shutdown. I kinda want to see what Paul Ryan and Trump would do if they had to get to that uh that spot. Gets a little weedy, but you know, like it's a little weedy, a little weedy. You think Paul Ryan is a train wreck kind of guy or a uh, blue dream? Maybe <laughs> Alaskan thunder F. Uh, he really sour diesel, sour diesel guy. No. Well, he likes to lift. You know, he's a yeah, real you're right. bro. You're right. So like there are people who like to get high and uh, and work out. It's the sour diesel. It's the it's a little weedy, yeah, a little weedy. It's a little weedy in between lips. But. Can you think of anybody in Washington, D.C. that you want to get baked with less than Paul Ryan? It's a little weedy. I can't think of anybody. I'm not going to go into hypotheticals. <laughs> 
No, you know what I love is to hit the ball and have someone yell at me about Ayn Rand for 45 minutes. The president's new at this. Yeah. I would ne- never. I, I Honestly, I'm trying to think of who I'd rather get baked with less. Uh, Grover Norquist. No, that'd be fun. Newt Gingrich. I think that we just look at animals. Mm, I got it. I got it. John Bolton. Ooh, that would be bad. That'd be real painful. That's a good call. That would be bad. Taking your comments on the worst person to watch you to get stoned with at BP Show on Twitter, everybody. Um, no, we're gonna take a break. We got, we got damn, we got so much stuff to talk about today. We're gonna go more uh, a little deeper into this rally with Alexi McCammon from Axios, who joins us. Next, here on the Bill Press Show, again, follow us on Twitter, at BP Show. Send us your comments. We'll be reading them all throughout the day. Uh, Stay tuned. A very quick break. We'll be right back. Japan. Follow us on Twitter, at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. video bill's commentary the best clips from the show all in one place youtube.com slash the bill press show indeed it is the bill press show thank you so very much for tuning in on a thursday august 24th thank you so much for tuning in i'm so jamie and i are jamie and i are we're having a conversation before we we went to break we're joined by uh deputy news editor at axios alexi mccammon in studio hi Alexi. hi thank you for coming we're about to rope into a sports discussion look uh, first of all alexi uh you can follow her on twitter at lexi mccammon uh wonderful stuff there uh we were having a conversation before we went to the break about the worst person in washington dc to get stoned with. oh right and phil my buddy phil uh, he chimes in, Richard Spencer. That's a bad one. That would be a bad one to get. Yeah, started. yeah. No, no. I mean, definitely. But like, I would still put Paul Ryan above Richard Spencer. I think as the worst. I don't know. Yeah, you might be right. What about your boy on um on Fox with the bow tie? Not Tucker, but um, Harlan Hill. Harlan, yeah. My boy, Harlan Hill. Get out of here, Jamie. What are you talking about? He's from South Carolina, I think. Mr. Orange Tan Gravy. You've seen Harlan Hill, right? I'm I don't gonna... know. Really? Glasses. He's does the it, guy. Look no, much no, than Peter. I don't watch a lot. What did you say? <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing. God damn it, Jamie. What did you say? To... <laughs> He's huh? taking a laugh. I think there's another voice in here. It wasn't Rachel, but someone else I think is in here. I don't look oh, like no. Harlan Hill, do I? I'm going to say no. I don't know what he looks like. Thank do you know who Peter no. does look like, Alexi? You haven't heard this before. Why no. are you doing this to me? I, well, I just got back to work, for worth, God's sake. We're it up every once in a while. Who? Peter looks like the dad from the Family Circus uh, cartoon. Do you remember the oh Family Circus ca- yes. cartoon? But, yes. Comic? Is that is that uh, speaking to his animated personality? Oh, you guys look nothing alike. Thank you. No, no. He's t- okay. They're talking about Harlan Hill. I'm right. talking now about the Family Circus, the family dad, circus dad, which Peter That's does funny. look like. Have you gotten that Rachel before from it. anyone? Yeah, I've gotten that before. Not just Jamie? I get the family circus dad. <laughs> uh, uh, I also get Ralphie from A Christmas Story. I've gotten that oh one. Oh, my God. I can see grown-up Ralphie for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, people always tell me that I sound like Seth Rogen. You do. Yeah. 
Uh, I think the first time I was on the show, I had a friend who texted me afterwards, and he was like, he sounds just like Seth Rogen. Really? I get that. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the worst one, to be honest. Because no it, the good thing is at least you don't sound like Seth Rogen's laugh. Oh, he's yeah. got a bad. He's got a bad laugh. Gonna <laughs> 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 lie. I'm just a normal. <laughs> Who said? <that>? There's like. <laughs> I don't have a laugh that bad, but they, no. I've heard that I sound like Seth Rogen. You do. But who cares? Why are we going on about this? We got more important things to talk about. I mean, supposedly, allegedly. Allegedly. Is anything going on? Um, oh wait, wait. What? One other worst person in Washington to get stoned with? Ted Cruz. Actually, that takes the. Cake. That is the worst. That, that is the, the worst. He would he would spend forty five minutes try, trying to tell you how good butter is for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Remember the Campbell soup story? I would like. To oh, the Campbell back. soup story. <laughs> That's the type of stuff that a maniac would do. By the way. I was reminded of it when the Campbell Soup CEO, I think, stepped down from that business council. Good soup. Was... Remember Trump? Good soup. Good soup, yeah. No, it's not. It's terrible soup. It's just like, a, it's it's just like salt water in a can. Yeah. yeah. Hi, Lexi. How are you? Hi. Hello, Jerry. <laughs> We're talking about uh, the Phoenix rally earlier because I haven't had a chance to talk about it. I know you guys talked about it a little bit yesterday. But uh, how – like. I didn't see it live. I want to be, mm-hmm. but I watched it later on in the evening. Um, but I did look at Twitter, and everybody was completely losing their mind. Like he's unhinged. This is terrible. He's yeah. like, this is the worst one we've seen in a while. Yeah. And I don't disagree with that. Um, but like, in a lot of ways, this this was not like shocking to me. Like this was Trump. Right. Yeah, I think that's what I struggle with. People always say, like, if you're shocked, you haven't been paying attention. Right. Um, and I agree with that to an extent, though I do think it's important to like for me to continue being critical. Um, but it felt different this time. Yeah. I How watched so? it live, uh, and it was, you know, I was tired. <laughs> it was it ended at like eleven thirty. But it felt different, I think, because the past two weeks were filled with all of the tension and drama and controversy from Charlottesville and Boston. And it had been two weeks of Trump handling these things in sort of egregious, inappropriate ways, whether it's his remarks or otherwise. And so this gave him an opportunity to right his wrong, so to speak. And that's what he attempted to do through revisionist Charlottesville history. Yeah. And he failed. This to me was was a throwback to campaign Trump. It was. In a big, big way. Which, by the way, this was a campaign rally. This was a campaign event right. for his 2020 re-election bid. Was it technically? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's what it, it was. It was organized by the campaign. It was organized, yeah, by the campaign to re-elect him in 2020. Which is weird. Why is it starting so early? It's just weird. I mean, yeah. it's just. I mean, it's a totally different thing. I've never seen. But this isn't like the that. first one, right? No, Wasn't they did there... something like this before. Right. It was a southern state yeah. on the east coast. I forget what it was. But I do too. But it, it it's already started. It's already started. Right. I but, mean, John Delaney's running for president, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're in the middle of the race for 2020, y'all. Whether <laughs> you know it or not. Um. But but so, like. I, I'm not of a mind that this was any more unhinged than Trump usually is. It's just been a while since we've seen this. Yeah. And I think it was just kind of like the perfect storm of he's been getting a lot of criticism over the last week. I think that by all reporting, John Kelly and other people are working really, really hard to keep him on message and to keep him from going completely off the rails. Right. And he just needed that outlet. 
He did. He didn't really follow the teleprompter at all, which is not surprising. And I think this was just a reflection of the fact that Trump will always be Trump and John Kelly can't really control him. I think there was a moment during his speech when he said he mentioned John Kelly, but like John Kelly was nowhere to be found. Like, I don't even know if he was there. So even if he was, Trump would have been the same Trump he was. I like to think of Trump referring to John Kelly and then saying, bless his heart. Like (laughs) after talking, like John Kelly, bless his heart. Right. He's trying. Right, but I'm not listening. But I'm not listening. Or right. someone like Hope Hicks saying that, who has been there the whole campaign she knows. the whole time. And she knows who he is. Looking at John Kelly, bless his heart. Bless he, his We heart. tried. He's trying. No one's going to be able to fix this man. It's just never right. going to happen. Right. And so that puts us in this like really interesting dynamic of how the hell do Republicans work with him. And so like we... We've been in this weird period, right, of focusing so much on Trump care uh, for the right. last couple of months. And now we're at a point where, like, okay, they're going to have to move on to something else. But can they get anything done? Uh, that's yes or no. so hard. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm, right, right. I don't know. I mean, obviously, we've been hearing they're pivoting to tax reform. I think what's going to be interesting come September is seeing this slew of Republicans who are distancing themselves from Trump, especially after Charlottesville, questioning his like moral stability and his competence. But then like they want to get tax reform done. Their constituents want them to get tax reform done. So how do they reconcile that? Do they continue distancing themselves and not support legislation put forward by a president with whom they morally disagree? Or do they go with the party and push forward on these policies that are put forward by Trump, even though they're unhappy with him? Trump, I think, is kind of getting hoisted on his own by his own petard here because like his skill, I think, is creating his own narrative, right? Like, he right. talk about whatever he wants to talk about. Right. And, like, you just can't do that if you want to be right. president. Right. Well, also, I think that's his downfall come September, pushing forward on these things, because I heard from a source the other day, he was telling me that people who work with McConnell and who have worked with McConnell want Trump to have nothing to do with tax reform because they're already worried that he's going to screw up the messaging and well, he, then I mean, prevent it from having any chances of getting passed. You know, at the at the the rally, you write about this in your piece at Axios.com, uh, about tax reform. Trump promised to pass the first major tax reform in over 30 years. And he said if congressional Democrats don't support him in this legislation, they'll be, quote, stopping you from getting a massive tax cut. So right there, like, he's owning the fact that these are tax cuts. Right. This is right. not tax reform the way that Paul right. Ryan and everybody else has carefully molded this into being, right. you know, a a carefully packed, which, like, they should just give up on that to begin with. Nuance right. is not his thing. Right. And he just goes right out and calls it tax cuts, which sort of shoots uh, right. holes in the bucket of what they're trying to sell. Luckily, I think for congressional Republicans, if I remember correctly, I think Trump said 10 words on tax reform during this They're The only 10 speech. words he knows about tax reform. <laughs> right. So it's like he said only 10 words. So hopefully the crowd amid, you know, railing against the media just didn't even pay attention to that for congressional Republicans to worry about. But I mean, he doesn't know. And people are already worried about his messaging. And so if he steps in, which I think is especially like I've also I was speaking with Chairman Dave Camp, who, you know, was the last person to try to rewrite the tax code in 2014. And he was like, if the president doesn't get behind this and isn't the one out there selling it, it's not going to pass. And then I hear from this source last week that people close to McConnell don't even want Trump to have anything to do with it. So it's like, what is he what is he going to do? What's going on with Trump and McConnell? Like, you know what I thought was just insane was he's out there ripping him 
on on Twitter, and then uh, McConnell's wife. Oh, that was so awkward. Had to stand next to Trump while he launched into the 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 Charlottesville, the now infamous Charlottesville I comment. I know. And hold that long as hell ledger. She had to, that dropped. They rolled out the that giant scroll. The flow chart. The flow chart. It was a flow chart. A flow chart. He offered to give it to the reporters. I would have taken it probably. Had I been there, I would have taken it. It was souvenir. Four feet long. <laughs> I mean, it was a gi- it was a long piece of paper. But Mitch McConnell's wife, Elaine Chow, had to stand there next to Trump while he went on and on and on about this. That's like, so weird to me. And I think it's weird. I also think that it's demoralizing if I you're know. Mitch well, McConnell. But also what was interesting about that, and it would have been bigger news had Trump not made that press conference right. what it was, it was her comment, Elaine Chow's comment. Someone said something to her about, you know, this weird feud with McConnell and Trump and Trump's her boss. And she was like, I stand by my man, both of them. And I was like, wow. wait, what? Are the uh, the far right is starting to call Mitch McConnell a cuck yet? Because oh, that's, no. I think he has uh, officially earned that title. Total cuck. President Trump. Total cuck. President Trump. Total, total cuck. Um, so, uh, like, where are they now? Where's McConnell and, and Trump now? Well, there was just, was it Washington Post report about that phone call in which Trump started berating him and shouting at him? I think it's clear that McConnell perhaps doesn't take Trump seriously or doesn't want to after seeing the way in which he treats him and other congressional Republicans. Um, I don't think they're ever going to get along, especially Mm. after the way that Trump brought McConnell into that Twitter feud or one-sided Twitter feud. Uh, But they need to work together, right? Like McConnell is Trump's hope of getting things passed. He is the reason that Gorsuch was confirmed. Yeah. Like, that's that's one of the only major relative wins Trump has had so far in his young presidency, and that's because of McConnell. And he just, he's seemingly forgetting about that or doesn't even care when he's attacking McConnell to think, like, if it weren't for this guy, I wouldn't have this one thing that I can say, look at what I've done. But I don't think, I don't think Trump realizes that and he'll never he's never going to recognize that trump is in it for trump and he's not going to give credit to anybody else right and that's just that right well and especially after healthcare failed it's easy to push the blame on mcconnell and that's exactly what he did is absolving himself of the blame pushing it on congress which is you know his base supporters across the country are super unhappy with congress so that blame shifting to congress reflects his base which he loves catering to but it's just Unwise. I mean, I'm not president, but I would say it's unwise to be attacking someone like McConnell, who is the reason you get things done or the person through which you get things done. Like, I will I will say that Barack Obama, when he was president, I think the knock on him was that he's inexperienced. He doesn't know what right. he's doing. Right. Like when he first came in. Right. But to Obama's credit, he learned a lot. I mean, Right. Let's call it a crash course on how to be president. But like, there are things you do and you cannot do, or you should do and should not do, or should can do and cannot do, and and he sort of was open to that. Trump is Trump. There's not there's no changing him. He's going to run right. the country exactly how he thinks he should do it, and if that means laying waste to anybody that gets in his way, whether it's you know Mitch right. McConnell or Paul Ryan or you know whoever, he'll do it, and it he's going to shoot himself in the foot. Yeah, he is a lot, a lot, like a lot. Right. And I think you make a great point that. We've seen, whether it's James Comey or Steve Bannon or Reince Priebus or McConnell, that everyone is expendable to Trump and no one can surpass him or have the spotlight more than him or assume positions of power in a way that is threatening to him. And if they do, he'll go after them. 
And it's just politically unwise because the presidency, sure, there's only one president, but you can't get things done by yourself. And he's not going to get anything done by alienating himself from everyone. So I forget who it was, but somebody made a really good comment uh, after Trump won the election early on and said, we're about to find out just how much power Mm. the United States president has on their own. Yeah. And we're finding out that, like... Not as much as you might think. I mean, look, he's gotten plenty of things done through executive order and right. things like that. But like Trump care couldn't get it done. Right. Um, he, they're walking into this tax reform, tax cut, tax reform fight, whatever you want to call it. Right. And he doesn't really have a whole lot of allies right now. And he's pissing off the most powerful people that could help him. Right. So, yeah, we are going to find out just how much power the, the United States president has uh, on their own. Um. <laughs> I want to come back from the rally and park on his Charlottesville comments for a second because this is something that every Republican sh- is having to go on record as as commenting on and should have to, by right. the way. Right. Um, but what kind of – I mean, where do we go from here with this? Because he's not going to back down. Right. And I think everybody sort of said everything that they feel like they can say about it. Is that it? Are we done <laughs> with it? Uh, I think that he's going to be harping on it for a while. As we saw during the Phoenix rally, he wants to what he thinks is right the wrong or correct the record. But I would like to note that he misquoted himself during the rally while railing against the fake media. As Least surprising it. story of the day. I, I was just like, what's happening? But I think the bigger issue for me, especially as a woman of color, is it just comes off as him being unwilling to even try to understand racial tensions or race relations in the U.S., He thinks that jobs will solve that. And I think, sure, that's a worthy thing to explore economic advantages and disadvantages and how that plays into disparities. But that's not a one size fits all solution. And it's not enough to just say, I'm going to solve race relations in the U.S. by jobs. And the media is the reason racial tensions are so bad, because that's like he just isn't trying to think critically or analytically about it or or consider like how it actually affects people. And he's not going to. I would be very surprised if he were. He's surrounded by folks like Ben Carson and Omarosa, who Omarosa hasn't even commented on Charlottesville, to my knowledge. I would say Which happened right after that NABJ debacle in which she was, you know, standing up for herself, saying, I have a seat at the table and I'm representing the black community and our interests, blah, blah, blah. Hasn't said anything. Ben Carson's comments are Ben Carson's comments. I mean, he's not helping at all either. So how is Trump even going to learn? He's Th- not. This is sort of, I think, the the perfect mix of stubbornness and arrogance, which are very closely related. And in his mind, he has it figured out, and he right. will not listen. And like part of this conversation that we need to be having right now is for a lot of people to just like shut up and listen sometimes. And when I say people, right. I mean like white people should just shut up and listen sometimes. Right. Right. Gotcha. <laughs> the Ben Carson, yeah. <laughs> Uh, right. Well, even his language, he said uh, during the Phoenix Valley, he referred to like protesters in Charlottesville as thugs. Yeah. And that is such a loaded word with so many connotations. Like, I would love no. to just ask a person, anyone on the street, like, what is the mental image you have yeah. when you hear the word what thug? What does a thug look like to you? What color is their skin? Ask, ask 10 Trump supporters right. what a thug right. looks like right. to them. The only time I've heard that word has been in reference to African Americans and... Sure, it can apply to other people, but 
it's just such a loaded word. That, and, and that's what bothers me as a journalist especially is that he has no regard for the value of words. And when he's speaking about racial tensions and race relations in the U.S., that is one time he should certainly care about the words he's using. And yeah. he, he didn't. And he doesn't. And he won't moving forward. We should ask Sean Hannity what, what, what he thinks when he thinks we got to play this Hannity clip. we got to play this Sean Hannity clip because nobody understands race in America more than Sean Hannity, that stack of white beef that they put on Fox News, who says this about the racist media. If you were unfairly lied about, if you were called a racist, one of the worst things you can say about somebody, you know you're not. You have a history of not being racist. You've spoken out against racism your whole life. Wouldn't you feel a need to defend yourself, your honor, your reputation, your character, your family? Well, the destroy Trump media, they're beyond pathetic. And they deserve now every bit of criticism that they're getting from the president and rational thinking Americans. I love this narrative that Trump has spoken out against racism his entire life. Right. What there, planet, uh, on what planet, in what bizarro universe has that ever been real? I wish I could You know you're that. not. You have a history of not being racist. Yeah. There is an NPR thing, a timeline about Trump's history with racism, for lack of no, a better phrase. No, it's a very, that it's, goes back to like the 70s or the 80s, and it tracks every instance in which he has had like been sued for things dealing with racism or like had weird racist incidents. And I, I don't I mean, I could talk about this <laughs> forever and ever yeah. and ever. And but, uh, look, I, it's, it's a good conversation. I, right. I, I think it's a conversation worth having. And I think, you know, look, when you're president, you're president of everybody. And right. I will say that while I think that Barack Obama lacked a lot of substance here and there mm -hmm. on certain issues, yeah. the one thing that Barack Obama gave was a, um, a, a voice to every American. Right. 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 Like you could look at Barack Obama and and you, the message you received from him was, I belong here. Right. right. Like I have a place here where with Donald Trump, whether you are a person of color or you are a Muslim or you are transgendered, like the message right. from the Trump administration is we really would rather you not be here. Right. We really we can do this without you, right. which I think is a terrible message. It is. And, you know, that's what he ran his campaign on. He announced his candidacy by ostracizing Mexican immigrants and calling them rapists and criminals, like that, some of them, absurd. I assume, are good people. <laughs> right. I don't. I think it's terrible. It's terrible. I th yeah. It just is really disheartening to say the least. And I think it's not going to get better any better unless he actually takes the time to like have conversations with folks who. That's can not going help to happen. Him. It's just not going to happen. Right. It's just right. not. So right. like. For me, the way that I see this kind of all playing out is he's eventually going to get to a point where he says something so bad, bad right. that his approval ratings are going to get so low. Right. I mean, like, look, uh, for all the people that came out and condemned, I mean, most of the Republicans didn't condemn his comments on Charlottesville. They just put out their own statements that right. were in, in contradiction to what he said. Right. But, like, nobody, no Republicans really smacked him down and distanced themselves. Yeah, a handful. Corey not that Gardner. bad. Not 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 that not <laughs> not not to the point where they were right. like, this guy's got to go. Right. Right. Uh yeah. I mean, which I by the way, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not. I'm not right. trying. I, I just right. the Republicans are not going to save us from Donald Trump. That's that's right. that's right. my takeaway. Well, from again, it. you know, Trump is going to be Trump, and I don't think anyone can stop him from doing that. I just hope that he like thinks more critically about the words he uses, especially on these topics. But. 
That's adorable. <laughs> that's really that's a hopeful. That's, that's a really hopeful thought. <laughs> I bring the hopeful yeah, perspective. It's really like you know so charming. Uh, yeah, it's, no, it's a sweet thought. It's not. <laughs> what else are you working on? Anything else? We only oh got like a minute. Oh my gosh! Left. Oh, what? Only a minute? Yeah, God, we run out of time. We have so much no. fun when you're here. It just uh, flies by. I know. I know. Uh, I'm looking ahead to 2018. Are you? Yes. Boy, oh yes. Boy. Where That's going to be crazy. Does your colleague Jonathan Swan have any more secret gossip from the White House? How about Jonathan Swan? Anytime soon? Huh? He's killing it, huh? Jonathan Swan is killing it. Uh, I would like to just be Don't him. tell him we said anything nice about him. Oh, he's, sure. He's too big for this show now. <laughs> the last he's time good. I emailed him, he sent me a kissy face emoji. Of course he did. Ugh, jealous. Still won't come on, still won't come on the show. <laughs> he's very busy. I see him like once a month. Yeah. So uh, I, don't, I don't blame him. But no, he's great. Well, uh, gosh- I th- thanks for so much for coming in and talking about all this depressing news, Lexi. <laughs> Jesus, you know. Um, Thank you for having me and we're talking st- about all these things. Yeah, of course. We're still uh, we're still taking your comments on Twitter about the worst person in Washington to get stoned with. I still think Ted Cruz is number one. That's top of the list for me. Stay tuned. We're gonna take a very very quick break. We're gonna go from Alexi McCammon from Axios to Alex Seitzwald from NBC News. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you. We'll be back right after this. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today on a Thursday, August 24th. It's my first day back from vacation, so please be gentle. Um, Already the comments have been brutal, and I appreciate all of them. I call them constructive criticism. Uh, We're tweeting at BP Show, at BP Show. I'm tweeting at Peter Ogburn, and we are uh, uh, so lucky to have political reporter for NBC News, Alex Seitzwald, in studio with us. Hello, Alex. Hey, Peter. That's just the vacation talking. Yeah, you know, look, I'm going to get a lot more mean as the show goes on. <laughs> I'm still in that post-vacation But, but thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We've got so much stuff to talk about. Um, we're going we're gonna to jump right into it with you. All things DNC, all things uh, Democrats, and whether or not they can actually sort of get their stuff together to to take back the House in 2018, and just general messaging from the Democrats. All of that stuff coming up, but first, Jamie Benson is the Full Court Press. What do you got? Just a couple of other stories for you on this Thursday morning. Here's another thing that Donald Trump might take credit for, Well, Trump bump. We have the single largest grand prize in Powerball history. Oh, wow. That's right. No kidding. Yeah, the oh, winning, wait, really? How did I miss this? The winning Powerball ticket was sold in Watertown, Mass. at oh. Handy Variety uh, just a couple of days ago. That's going to be $758.7 million. Wow. Uh, which will, the winner will receive that over annual payments over 29 years. But, yes, yeah, $758 million. 
The largest grand prize won by a single lottery ticket That's in crazy. U.S. history. Maybe you can get a Patriots ring with that up in Massachusetts. You could. <laughs> I think you might be able to. Oh, I see what you did, Alex. <laughs> Jamie, um, did we do that story yet? <laughs> did you and Peter collude to? Uh, Not at all. Did you do I a had nothing to do with it. Some Belichick hey, tactics to make hey, sure this was brought up. My name is up? Paul, and this is between y'all. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Peter uh, insisted that we read the story about how I was on vacation and found this, <laughs> and insisted we do it when I come back. Go ahead, Jamie. Patriots owner Bob Kraft reportedly giving Donald Trump a Super Bowl ring, which is not something that presidents usually get huh. from team owners. Uh, no word on whether or not it's the same ring. I that can't the players say you wearing got. your Patriots jersey that you always wear today. No, or I'm wearing my Sean Spicer. Proudly wearing your today. Patriots jersey no 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 little looks a little tarnished today doesn't it jamie <laughs> on opening day perhaps i wear that moving on to our next story moving on another one of those uh <laughs> highly visible resignation letters popped up yesterday uh so daniel Kamen resigned as the state department's u.s envoy by sending a letter uh acrostic style uh, where each paragraph uh had the letter to spell the word impeach you may remember earlier this week cal penn and the arts council resigned uh from that posi- from their position with the president with paragraphs where each first letter spelled resist uh rachel and i were talking about this this morning i think this is kind of dumb uh i think it's a little gimmicky and i don't want it to keep happening I don't know. I'm, I'm here for it. What? You? Of all people. What, what do you mean? What do you mean of all people? I, I can't, would, I I can't would find think, things cute. I would think that this is... Excuse me? I think it's cute. He put it out impeached. The whole, you know... Okay. This is like before vacation, Peter Ogburn would have never used the word cute on air. <laughs> After vacation, Sugar Peter pie Ogburn. Ogburn? What are you talking oh about? Oh my God. What are you talking stop. about? I'm rested. I, I feel good about life. I'm just looking for the best in people, Jamie. That's what I do. Did this we is- not... All my issue with this, how do you escalate this? Because, you know, you've gone from resist to impeach. So, yeah, like, what, what else? Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I, I, where do we go I, from I refrain here? to say on air the next thought that yeah, yeah, pops yeah, yeah, into yeah, my no, mind. Yeah, I know, but, but like, where do we go from here? Cute, clearly, is the. Is the I next think word. it's a little cute. Uh, and finally, good for him. You guys remember Valerie Plame? Yeah, I oh, do. Yeah. Valerie Plame, the uh, former, former uh, member of the, excuse me, her husband, former member of the CIA, Valerie Plame launching a fundraiser last week to buy Twitter. It's just so that she can kick President Donald Trump off of it. Oh, to buy Twitter. Valerie Plame has started this campaign on GoFundMe, and I'm looking at it live right now. $37,000. Not bad. Hmm. She's got to get to a billion, though. So oh. I, I don't think that Valerie She's on Plame's... Kickstarter? Yeah, GoFundMe. She's trying to crowdsource the purchase of Twitter. I one time I, I thought about starting a Kickstarter to buy Kickstarter. <laughs> I that, like that. That doesn't work. I'm pretty sure they, they kick you, you off Kickstarter. They won't let you do it. <laughs> On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. I am Peter Ogburn sitting in for Bill Press today. Bill is on vacation this week. I was on vacation the first half of this week. Jamie, remarkably, against all odds, kept the show afloat for the past several days with the help of some uh, a cavalcade of network stars who came in to fill, fill in. Jamie, how did it go? Uh, pretty well. Uh, so we were, John Allen and I were talking after Tuesday's show, John Allen here. You let John Allen host the show and neither Bill or I was here? Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, John Allen, who's getting a lot of press, uh, over the last 24 hours because of these Hillary Clinton excerpts, which I'm sure sure we'll get to. Uh, Oh yeah. But John ran a very, very good show. Not saying that other shows that he has run have not been good, but, 
uh, he has said that uh, he said to me that I kept him focused. And then if you were here, <laughs> he <laughs> look at Barry Horowitz here to pat himself on the back. You would have tried to uh, throw him off the rails, which is something. Throw I'm, him off the rails, me? Something I'm trying to do to you this morning. I, I clearly you need to be in the White House to keep the president on focus. I think you could use yeah some of that. That's, yeah, Jamie is the John Kelly. In I this took situation. yeah, I took John's <laughs> phone away from him. <laughs> <laughs> He's fine. Step one, no Twitter. Political reporter for NBC News is in studio with us here, Alex Seitzwald. Alex, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, we spend so much time on this show talking about 2018 because, like, immediately after Donald Trump became president, I think, first of all, all all Democrats lost their minds uh, and and mourned and grieved and all of that. But then they also almost immediately were like, "Okay, 2018, we got to we got to take back the House. That's the only thing we can do." So you have a very helpful piece here with Benji Sarlin. Democrats could win 50 House seats. Here's how. Tell us how. <laughs> <laughs> Give our listeners some good news, Alex. Well, okay, here's the, I'll give you the good news and the less good news. The good news is that all the signs are pointing to a big year for Democrats in the House. Uh, and, and let's see, let's start by, by giving a little bit of bad news, which is the Senate, if you're a Democrat, the Senate is pretty much off the table. It's like the worst map that Democrats have ever faced. Wah, wah. Yeah. So let's just set that aside, and we can go more into that later. But So the House is the game. That's what everyone's focused on. Yeah. Uh, typically, in the first midterm of any president, they lose seats, just always. So, okay, you already have history on your side. Uh, second of all, Trump's numbers are in the tank. The generic ballot that tests, you know, Republicans versus Democrats, Democrats way up. So that's all pointing to a good direction. Democrats need 24 seats to flip the House. Here's the less good news if you're a Democrat. The seats are so gerrymandered and Democrats are so concentrated in big cities and in a way that's just not strategic that they have to win back a lot of the Trumpian places, the 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 Midwest, the Rust Belt, the place where these white working class voters that we've spent all this time talking about, where they live. Uh, and so that's going to really determine whether they can take the house back or not. There's been a lot of attention on the the, the Sun Belt, these suburban places like Georgia Six uh, and Daryl Issa's district in Orange County, California. That's all great, but that's just not going to get them enough seats to win back the house. So for me, right, like in the days after Trump, we have these special elections. Everyone talks about all the excitement around the Democrats. Everybody talks about the resist movement and the resistance movement. And Democrats really haven't delivered yet. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I, I hate to, you know, point that out because we, we've come close and we've done darn well in these elections, but like you got to win some of these. Right. There's no. I'm thinking of like the Montana race and the, 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 the John Ossoff race in Georgia, which, yeah. uh, which was just huge, and it really wasn't that close. Right, and after they sunk, you know, it's the most expensive house race in in history, in history, in the history yeah, of history, in the history of history, and will probably that record will probably stand for a while. Wow. Uh, but right, so it's all about twenty. Well, the, well, the first there's this uh, governor's race in Virginia and New Jersey. Right. Those are big chances. The New Jersey one is like a, a shoe in for Democrats. Uh, Virginia is going to be tougher, but Ralph Northam, Democrat, there is ahead. But 2018 is obviously the big game. The House is the big game. Uh, you know, they, they, as we said, they can't probably take back both chambers. But the system is stacked against Democrats in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's how you win the popular vote by three million votes for Hillary Clinton, but still lose the Electoral College. And there's a similar phenomenon that happens in the House races 
which is the way the districts are drawn, you you can't. It's not enough to just win more votes overall. You have to win more votes in the right places, and, and that's going to be the real challenge for Democrats. So they've spent a lot of time recruiting non-traditional people, people who don't fit your mold of a latte drinking, arugula eating, you know, urban Repu- uh, Prius Democrat. driving. Prius yes, driving. Yes. Yeah, we could keep going. You know. Hi, everyone. <laughs> uh, so the, in like in places like Ohio and Michigan, they're recruiting like their their typical candidate. If they could just stamp these out in the mold, it's like a veteran small business owner who has never run for public office but has done some other kind of public servicey thing. You know who we had. You know who we had in studio. Who uh, I was impressed from the moment he put out his first ad and and really loved it when he came in studio. It was Iron Stash. Yeah, Randy Bryce, the guy running against Paul Ryan. Look, running against Paul Ryan is a uphill battle to say the least but you know authentic guy steel worker knows the issues but like very clearly is in this race like to win right um and so like you're gonna see a lot more people like that i mean i think that there's this perception as you as you said like very lampoonable democrats running uh for office that's that really kind of sucks for for voters and there's, and there's truth to it. I would absolutely drink a beer and then crush it on my forehead with Randy Bryce. I can't. <laughs> right? Like, that dude could do that. And that could be an effective campaign ad in Wisconsin. Totally. Uh, totally, totally should. And, and, I mean, but there's truth to it. Like, if you know, if you look at the map of the counties that Democrats won in the presidential election last year, it's like a, t- a fraction of what Republicans won. And it's mostly concentrated around big cities. So there is that, that lampoonable stereotype gets at a truth. That is the Democrats, I think, biggest problem right now, which is that they're confined to these small places. They need to reach beyond that. And the key word there is outsiders. Uh, They're setting up to run against Washington, run against Republicans. And what they've done with this better deal messaging thing that Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi have rolled out, they're trying to kind of co-opt some of the popular issues that Trump ran on in his campaign that he's totally abandoned since he's gotten to the White House. And a lot of those were traditionally Democratic issues for that union people liked, like anti-trade. And they're trying to say, you know, he's failed you on that, so we're going to get back to our roots and we're going to elect him. Whether or not they can do that, whether they can overcome the stereotype uh, and put down their lattes is the the question. (laughs) It's just so so good. It's so easy. It's easy. It's low-hanging fruit, man. It's my favorite kind. So we, we, you mentioned a couple of things we're going to we're going to touch on here in just a couple minutes. Uh, we we have some audio from Hillary Clinton's audio book. What happened? And she's going to talk a little bit about debating Trump. We're going to play some of that in just a couple of moments. But I want to I want to park on something you just mentioned about the Democrats' biggest problem, um, because the DNC is I think still having a hard time figuring out who they are and what they're going to be. Uh, earlier this week, I'm just going to read straight from this story. The Democratic National Committee, this is from Business Insider. The Democratic National Committee came under fire from many online Tuesday after sending out a release on its press list that called out President Donald Trump's, quote, empty promises on the border wall. Trump has failed to deliver on his signature promise to build a border wall and have Mexico pay for it, the DNC release said. Like, what are they doing? Yeah. This is like, like- they're, they're taking him to task for not keeping his word on doing something terrible. And and, and right, and if he, if he had succeeded they would have condemned him for doing it. Right. Yeah, this is a I think this it's is an like, example. It's like, it's like that viral tweet that of someone saying like modern democrats when someone says like we need to privatize the prisons and modern democrats are like but hire female bodyguards. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no that's not the point. The right. point is this is bad. That's not the problem. The, the food is terrible and in such small portions. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think this is an example of an ineffective way of trying to co-opt Trump's message because there are parts of Trump's message building infrastructure, you know, fighting for working people that was helped him win over former Obama voters that, that, you know, registered Democrats that voted for Trump. This is, a, I think, not a good example of that. The DNC, yeah, is they're, they're having a, a they're in a rebuilding phase is the generic way of putting it. Uh, they are the Philadelphia 76ers of the politics world. Sure. Yeah. I get it. Trust the process, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, that's, that's the, the, the issue, Believe though, is... in Perez. Is, is how long, how long can, you, can that belief last? How long can you trust that process? And every month, uh, particularly the, the, the fundraising piece, every month that comes out where they put out a new terrible number, and almost every month this year, the numbers have been terrible. They just released the numbers for July, the worst July they've had in a decade. Wow. Uh, Democrats are losing a little bit more and more patience, and they're trusting in that process less and less. And then when there's things like this, when there's been other uh, mistakes that they've had this year, they're they're need to catch up pretty quickly, I think, uh, to where things are. And and the on the the fundraising piece, it's underscores how the, the DNC is an outlier here. I mean, there's so much money pouring into Democratic candidates, Democratic groups, resistance groups. We talked about the John Ossoff race. He raised more money than any congressional candidate in history, even though he was a 30-year-old guy who had never run for office before. That's how much energy is out there. And they're being left out of this, which says that, you know, there's a problem specific to the DNC. And that's a problem for Democrats because that's your national party. Can, can I play devil's avocado for a second? You sure can. can. Borrow a term from Peter Ogburn. You sure can. So, you know, I, obviously the DNC is going through the re- rebuilding phase, and a lot of this is certainly on them. But with how quickly Trump is moving right now as far as issue to issue, right, jumping from issue to issue, we went from health care to his racism to Afghanistan, and now we're back to the wall uh, quite frankly, if I were running the DNC, I would probably say it's it's hard to keep up. It's hard to keep up which item to focus on primarily. There's, I think that's there's fair. just so yeah. much. I think that's fair. But, you know, I also think that if there's one lesson to be learned from the election in which Hillary Clinton embarrassingly lost to Donald Trump, it is you have to offer something and not just beat up on Donald Trump. I'm like, I know that that's kind of what the DNC does. It's different than being a candidate. But like if the DNC were to come out and say, we're for Medicare for all, we want all of, you know you know what I mean? Like it's obviously, it's a tough and, and dance not, for them. And they don't really do policy, but there's a way that when you're on offense, you're attacking somebody, you attack them in a certain direction yeah. that, mm. that together adds up to a to a narrative. And, and, to, and to be fair, uh, uh, Howard Dean is held up as like the gold standard of DNC chairs. He took over after John Kerry lost, and then he went on to help Democrats win back the House and Senate in the 2006 uh, midterm wave. If you go back and look at the DNC at the exact time as now, and even later into his tenure, almost the exact same stories really? were being written about uh, his DNC. The, the You know, these institutions get atrophied, they get neglected, and it takes a while to, to build them back up. Uh, but for Democrats looking for a win who have not been had one yet this year, that you know, you get antsy. I want to play a clip from Elizabeth Warren. Uh, I'm not sure where she was speaking, but Jamie had this this clip earlier. Massachusetts Town Hall. Massachusetts Town Hall. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, where she spoke about uh, a very common theme for her. The country that we inherited, the one that was given to us, will be gone. It will be a country of those at the top and everybody else hanging on by their fingernails. So she's got some credibility on this issue. Uh, she's been saying this for a long, long time, and it appears as though we're sort of heading towards this direction where a lot of the stuff that she said 
is going to come to fruition. These guys at the top are really going to be raking it in under under Trump. How uh, how much does that message resonate throughout the party? Or is that just sort of a Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders thing? Because those two have the most credibility on it, I would say. I, I think that the party is clearly taking their cues from Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. And you can see that in that Better Deal messaging, which is super populist. You know, they the introduced this thing that a lot of people were surprised uh, about taking on corporate monopolies, which has not really been a major piece of the Democratic Party for a long time. Um, the... The way I think to look at last year's election or a way to look at last year's election is not left right, which is the way we've always looked at politics, but populist versus establishment. And the people who succeeded unexpectedly, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, capitalized on the populist yeah. angle. And that's the way that I think Democrats can win back. And, and they think they can win back places like the Rust Belt, where with, you don't have to get into these triangulation issues on, on policy, you just have to be a credible messenger that you're going to fight for people and you're going to take on, you know, the bad guys, special interest corporations, power that be. And that resonates from, you know, on both conservatives, independents and uh, and Democrats. And that's, I think, an easier way for the party to, to unite around something. I'm not going to say that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are both too old to lead the party, but I will say that they are both seasoned. Um <laughs> So who else that might be a generation or two younger can help carry that message for the whole party, I guess? So I, I am working on a story about how everyone is running for president. Uh, Everybody's running for president, right? Yeah, yeah. Are you running for president? I, uh, I'd i like to announce right now officially. Well, you know what? My congressman, John Delaney, has already jumped. Oh, oh yeah. There yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. He's John Delaney's running mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm already in the district. He's got a sound vote in me. Well, I President look, Delaney, bring I the Maryland burbs to the country. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> uh, exactly. John Delaney, who I think um, like three people outside of your district had heard of. Before. Can we please just call him President Delaney? Give the man some respect. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, so, but but so anyway, so yesterday I made a list of everybody who is you know talking about it, who is, and it's like thirty people long, and we are in you know August of the year right after we just inaugurated yeah, we just the last finished. guy. Uh, so I don't know is the short answer, but the the longer answer, there's a lot of interesting people. I, I personally think that the most effective uh, nominee at this moment, and we're a million miles away, but it's so much fun to prognosticate. Oh, about. I love it. No, no, no. I'm here for it. Yeah. Bill hates it, but he ain't here. So what do I care? Let's so, do it. So I, I think it's somebody outside of Washington, a, a governor, a mayor, somebody who can credibly run against the party, run against uh, Washington and do that. Somebody like a guy like Steve Bullock in Montana. He just, you know, he won uh, a state that Hillary Clinton lost dramatically last year. Uh, he's like a populist guy. His first big legislative accomplishment was campaign finance reform, which is something that I heard from Trump voters everywhere I went around the country last year. They talked mm. about how you know politicians are in the pocket of uh, corporations. So somebody like that, I, I, I think. But th- there's a there's a lot of people who could credibly, uh, or could at least try to credibly claim that message. I, I'm not sure that anyone has risen above it, which is why you have uh, 34,000 people in the in the field next year. We're going to end up, by the way, with a situation where we're going to have the J. You remember the JV debates from the Republicans? Yeah. When Lindsey Graham and uh, who else was in there? George Pataki. Rick Santorum. Rick Bobby San- Jindal. Rick Santorum. Bobby, Bobby Jindal. Jindal. Yeah. You remember that awful campaign video that he put out with the overhead camera watching him and his children? Yeah, it looked like a surveillance oh, yeah. camera watching his kids in the backyard. <laughs> this is creepy. Oh. That was really bad. But, like, we're going to have that again for the Democrats. I, there's going to need to be, like, you know, 
third string, fourth yeah. string. Uh, no, no. I mean, we we really. I mean, everybody. The, uh, to your point, of it's going to come from someone from from outside of Washington, which I think you you're onto something. There's nobody that can that's that could be excluded right right now, right? Like everybody should be taken seriously because exactly. Donald Trump was absolutely not taken seriously by ninety percent of the country when he announced. And we're talking about President Trump. You know, the one candidate that's really intriguing me, and Alex, I'm sure you, Mark may Cuban. Have, no, not Mark <laughs> Cuban. Please, God, no. Uh, can't run a basketball team. Shouldn't run the country. So. Um, Alex, what about Seth Moulton? Because he, you know, yeah. Democrat from Massachusetts in the House, and most important, or more importantly, perhaps, he's a veteran. Yep. Do that- you think of the Democrats running a veteran? Think of the Jason Kander ad with the, you know, loading the gun blindfolded. Do you think that that's a good play for the Democrats? Definitely, and that's why the DCCC you're seeing in these House races, they are going out of their way to try to recruit uh, veterans. That you know, inoculates you on the gun issue, and you you can at least talk to people and not get caught up on it. Uh, and I think against a guy like Donald Trump, you can you, part of the why the Khazir Khan thing was so effective was that message he said, you know, you never sacrificed anything for your country. My son gave his life. Somebody like Seth Moulton right. uh, can speak about that personally. Or a guy like Jason Kander. Uh, I was talking earlier this week to Pete Buttigieg, you know, the, the yeah, South yeah, yeah. Indiana Love mayor, mayor guy. Pete. Yeah, Very good. who ran for DNC chair. And, you know, I, because I ask every Democrat I, I talk to these days, uh, are you running for president? And he said, oh, I'm going to Iowa uh, <laughs> next month, literally. And it's like, okay. I'm going to take that as a maybe. Yeah. So, and it's like, sure. Uh, he's he's also an Afghan uh, veteran. But that's, you know, sure, the, the, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana could be a credible uh, candidate for president in, in 2020. Uh, but, yeah, I, I do think there's this, there, w- there's a lot of these young veteran um, Democrats coming up that are super interesting. Seth Moulton is the, at the, the tip of that spear, but there's a guy in Ohio who's running for Congress who uh, was a former Navy pilot, like literally Tom Cruise in Top Gun. Nice. And then he ran this uh, organization that recruits veterans to deploy them all over the world for disaster relief. Like, awesome. That's, right? a, that's, that's just great. like a yeah. great story. Yeah. There's that woman, uh, Amy McGrath in yeah. um, Kentucky, who ran that awesome ad about her, you know, she's her first female marine like a hollywood movie that ad yeah exactly and there's a bunch of these super interesting candidates cropping up uh there's going to be a bunch of new governors potentially democratic governors coming up in 2018 so i think it's totally possible that it's somebody we are not even talking about have not even heard of uh now and it very well could be a a veteran um just want to Give you guys an update. Donald Trump is tweeting this morning. Uh, he he has tweeted already. Um, we're going to keep you posted. I requested that Mitch M and Paul R. I still laugh when he does that. It's I still get so tickled when he just like abbreviates. You know. The Speaker of the House. <laughs> it's like it's like a like writing in your high school diary. Like, yeah. Susie Q was yeah, so exactly, mean to me at exactly lunch today, it. but Susie like, M stood up for me. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just I don't. I requested that Mitch M and Paul R. For those of you that aren't paying attention, that's Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan. Uh, I requested that Mitch M and Paul R. Uh, tie the debt ceiling legislation into the popular VA bill, which they just passed. For easy approval, they dot dot dot. Oh, he just tweeted. He just tweeted. They didn't do it, so now we have a big deal with Dems holding them up as usual on debt ceiling approval. Could have been so easy. Now a mess. Gets a little weedy. <laughs> Gets a little weedy. That literally sounds like a, a diary 
I know, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it really does. Could have been so easy. Could have been so easy. She should have just listened to me, and now this. What a mess. Uh, Susie Q. Susie Q. Well, if we if we if we really play the the diagram game, Hope Hicks, uh, the the current White House communications director, was a uh, cover girl for the Gossip Girl books. So maybe Ooh. Hope Hicks. That's right. Wrote the tweet. Yeah, that's it. Dear she, diary. She's gossip girl. Dear diary. Boy, oh boy. Um, You're welcome, Internet. Yeah, I just wanted to put that out there, so you know he's tweeting that. By the way, I, can I add a little breaking news here? Uh, yeah, man. So you yeah, know the you know the Powerball uh, winner that I told you about? Yeah. At the beginning of the hour? We had a, yeah, the biggest Powerball ever, right? The Massachusetts State Lottery has just announced that they uh, read that the it was, they, they announced oh. the wrong store uh, yeah. with the winning Powerball ticket. So it is not Handy Variety in Watertown, Massachusetts. It's actually Pride Station and Store in Chicopee, Massachusetts. So if I'm the store owner at Handy Variety in Watertown, yeah. the wrong store, I'm pretty pissed. Yeah, I'm not such, getting you get a money. cut. You get if a cut. you sell the ticket, you get a taste. I forget how much it is, but you totally get, like if you sell the winning ticket, you get a vig. And then you're made for life because everyone yeah. wants to come to Everybody your wants store. to go there. Like there's one not far from my parents' house that sold like a, a, a like a $2 million one, right? And every year that I go back there, there's a giant sign out front that says, we sold a $2 million uh, lottery ticket. Been up there for years. Oh, they they eat off of that for years. Maybe he can just pretend he didn't hear the correct thing. <laughs> and, you know. For a brief, like, six hours, we yeah. sold a Powerball <laughs> ticket. That would be it. Uh, all right, earlier in our conversation, you mentioned a, we talked a lot about unfamiliar names that might be, that might be out there. A very, very familiar name who has popped back up. Is Hillary Rodham Clinton? Oh, I've heard of her. Yeah. Have you heard about this? Yeah. Uh, so she has a book comment coming out called "What Happened," and we have the audio book of uh, her talking about specifically her debating with Donald Trump. The first clip, Jamie, where she says, well, "I think a lot of people were thinking when we were watching the debate." You stay calm, keep smiling, and carry on as if he weren't repeatedly invading your space. Or do you turn, look him in the eye, and say loudly and clearly, back up, you creep. Get away from me. I know you love to intimidate women, but you can't intimidate me, so back up. Okay, so that's strong. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 not, a, that, that's not like anything I heard during the campaign from her. I mean, she was forceful on a lot of things, but I mean, that sounds like she um, genuinely kind of felt violated. By, by the whole thing. So uh, one other clip, um, the last clip, Jamie, where she kind of admits that she had a lot riding on this and she couldn't get it done. Writing this wasn't easy. Every day that I was a candidate for president, I knew that millions of people were counting on me and I couldn't bear the idea of letting them down. But I did. I couldn't get the job done and I'll have to live with that for the rest of my life. That's hard to listen Ooh, to. Yeah, I'll say this. One thing I want to I, I want to say is like I am like even now that we're pretty far away from the election and we kind of have a better idea of what happened, and I'm still one of those people that thinks that Donald Trump did not win this in a huge surge. She just ran a bad campaign and couldn't couldn't finish it. But I think that what really bothered me was all these months later, people are still hungry for blood for Hillary Clinton to come out and say this was a hundred percent my fault you know because she said like sexism was a factor Russia's meddling was a factor all that stuff is true but like when do we hold a politician up to come out and say 
I totally 100% screwed this up on my end. But this comes pretty close. Yeah. I, I, I mean, she owns it. I give her credit. It's it's just like so raw and emotional for I so know, many man. people. And everybody, it, it conspires in a way where everybody wants her to do that. Of course, conservatives want her to you know take full responsibility and say, Donald Trump was a genius and I just sucked. But I think a lot of liberals, even Clinton fans, they feel let down. They feel disappointed by her and they, they want her to take responsibility. And then Bernie people you know, feel like they their guy would have won and she never gave him a chance and she undercut him and, you know, that's obviously still a, a, a raw uh, thing too. So I I, I mean, I, I get why she's uh, putting out a book right now because, like, money was one sure, thing. You know, sure, And you know, make your money. You already, you know, it, you're, you're done now. And like, there's going to be yeah. a certain fascination about Hillary Clinton coming back out and that's fine. She yeah. earned that. But there's a problem with that. Go ahead. In that... Yeah, I'm not going after any particular news networks here, uh, but yesterday's morning news, there was a lot of this, <laughs> and the, we came right after the Phoenix rally, which was really should have been, in my opinion, the only story that people yeah. were talking about yesterday, because there's so we dissected more from the Phoenix rally a day and a half afterwards this morning, Yeah, because there's so much to unpack, and when this book comes out... That's the only thing you're going to see on Fox it's all, News. It's all okay. we're going to talk about. See, gonna John Allen's been yeah. on Fox News like 10 times in the yeah. last 24 hours. Yeah. 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 And and I, I mean, you know, we're, we'll learn things, but uh, she's not a credible. Sure. It says in that in another one of those clips, she's not a credible messenger to explain what went wrong. She can provide insight, but she was an actor. She was she's yeah. not an observer and she's obviously interested and she's colored by her experience there. I mean, I want to hear from it. Everybody wants to yeah, hear from I'd it. I'd love to it's hear like, from it. Yeah, it's I'm I'm very uh I'm very curious. But um yeah, I mean the, the this whole year, if if you follow Democrats like I do, is just there you we're just like counting down the days between the next recriminations of twenty sixteen. And I'm not looking forward yeah. to like, you know, this round. This is going to be a big one yeah. coming up soon. I really thought that it was uh, interesting that an entire chapter of her book is called Bernie Would Have Won. <laughs> is it really? No. Oh. No. The, um, <laughs> that would have been wild. That, that one surprised me, but the one I did Benghazi. I did uh, Benghazi also. Re- very uh, good for her for putting that out there. <laughs> uh, Alex Seitzwald, political reporter for NBC News. Thank you so much for coming in, man. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Follow him on Twitter at A. Seitzwald. Uh, great, great, great reporting from Alex all the time. Uh, we're always so happy to have you come in with the show. Uh, very, very quick break. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press. We'll be back with senior politics editor at HuffPost, Paige Lavender. Stay tuned. I couldn't get the job done, and I'll have to live with that for the rest of my life. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show, 36 minutes past the hour. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press Day. Thank you for joining us. By the way, if you can't watch the show live, uh, you can always download the podcast. We're on iTunes. If you don't do the Apple thing, we're at uh, BillPressShow.com. We have the podcast up there. Just go download it. Anytime you want to listen to it, you can take it with you. I'm not a I'm not a like listen to the podcast at the gym person. Do you listen to no, podcasts? No, I have to listen to music or <clears throat> sports radio.
You don't listen to sports radio to work out, do you? I do. I'm a sports radio junkie. Senior politics editor at HuffPost, Paige Lavender, joins us in studio with the with like the best name to wake up to this morning, Paige Lavender. Thank you. Yeah, that's very pleasing. I worked really hard for it. Did you? Yeah. Uh, but so you just, didn't get the full Twitter handle. It, it, the last part of your name is cut off. Does someone else have yeah, that handle? No, I just thought it would be easier than having someone type out lavender. There's so uh, you would be surprised how many ways characters are money out there, Jamie. Yeah. You, you, got, you know, <laughs> you got to keep it uncluttered. You can't clutter that feed with all those extra extra characters. Um, yeah, like. I, I want to play this clip because the best job in all of media is to be the Fox News diner correspondent. Like this guy that has to, what's his name? Todd Pirro. Todd Pirro. So he goes to diners all around the country and interviews people eating their breakfast. At like 4 a.m. Like at FU o'clock. <laughs> and like nobody is, this has gone wrong so many times. Like he'll interview a guy who will completely turn the Fox News narrative on its head. But then I love this. I love this guy. This guy started shouting and protesting. Here's a clip. And let's get right to the debate. Jefferson County, where we are, heavy Democrat. Bullet County right across the way here, heavy Republican. Going to start with Keith as a retired educator and a Trump you voter. A Democrat, right? Oh, 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 all right. All right. All right. This we're going to wrap this up this and we're going to uh, go on off to commercial. Steve and Brian, I'm going to send it on back to you. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, we haven't heard him, but I was reading his lips. I know exactly what he meant. We haven't heard him. No, oh, we heard him. I, I heard him pretty loud. I heard him clear. loud and clear. Right <laughs> Got a Democrat right here. <laughs> I love that they throw it back to Brian Kilmeade. Maybe yeah, the dumbest person yeah, on television. Him, but I was reading his lips. I know exactly what he meant. Brian Kilmeade, who looks at the TV camera the way that a, like a parakeet looks at a ringing telephone, just like. <laughs> I was worried. He not a, sure what's going on. He took a long vacation. I was worried about him. I thought that that uh, he was on the outs on Fox and Friends, but he he is now back. To, good for good for kill me. To <laughs> add more helpful commentary. Do you remember, Paige? I'm so sorry. You have to. You just like have to sit around and where no, we just it's, goof it's off. Fine. I actually hadn't seen the clip from Fox, so that's uh, it's terrible. It's, it sounded pretty bad. He used to have that radio show with Judge Napolitano called Brian and the Judge. That was so bad. <laughs> We used to pull <laughs> the real original name. I, I, I'm radio not kidding. Show. It was Brian and the Judge. Folks, uh, <laughs> we're joined by Paige Lavender. I'm going to talk about actual stories now, not just the Fox News Diner correspondent. <laughs> um, so, in the days now after uh, Charlottesville and in the days after the Phoenix rally where Donald Trump not only defended his comments, but he sort of doubled down on them. Uh, you have a story here. Trump has a harsher condemnation for the media than for white supremacists. That that was the big takeaway from the uh, from the rally, Jamie. That very first clip we had this morning, where Trump was speaking in in Phoenix, and and he just sort of went off on the media, just like they don't want to report that I spoke out forcefully against hatred, bigotry, and violence, and strongly condemned the neo Nazis, the white supremacists. And the KKK. So it was very reminiscent of campaign Trump. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, this was a campaign rally. It right? was a campaign style rally. And, uh, you know, I almost feel like he, to function as a human, yeah. you know, he, he gave his remarks on Afghanistan earlier this week, reading off a teleprompter, not veering away from that, very subdued for, for Trump. And I mean, he's done that before. And then he usually turns around within 48 hours and is just. Bam, like yeah. totally out there. 
And that's what we saw again this week, so. Yeah, it's so, it, it's just so, like, we knew it was coming. Yeah. Right? We knew it was coming. <laughs> yes. Because after his initial comments on Charlottesville, which didn't nearly go far enough, and he had that, that infrastructure thing at Trump Tower. What are, infrastructure. Infrastructure uh, 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 presser at Trump Tower where he really doubled down yeah. on it. Then, I mean, there's no turning back. Yeah, and at this point, it's, it's you know, he he did condemn, you know, racist yeah. <laughs> outright several days after Charlottesville sure. in a written, canned statement. Uh, and, and, and again, it's, it's sort of like what I just mentioned, you know, when, when he finally did come out to condemn them in a very explicit way, it was so rehearsed. I mean, he can't do it without reading off of a paper. We know him well enough. Yeah. And so now it's like it just feels like he's, you know, he's got to reinforce like I was right in the beginning. I mean, it's very childlike in a way. And uh, I don't think he's going to let up on this narrative of like I did it from the get go. Like I've been right from the beginning. And I think we're just going to keep hearing that. It's sort of, uh, <clears throat> to me, to watch all the enablers and all the people who, like, help make the argument for him and watch him pick it up. Like, but here's this Sean Hannity clip um, where where he sort of tries to make the case that Trump has a long history of not being racist, of, like, being profoundly not racist. Here's Sean Hannity. If you were unfairly lied about, if you were called a racist, one of the worst things you can say about somebody, you know you're not. You have a history of not being racist. You've spoken out against racism your whole life. Wouldn't you feel a need to defend yourself, your honor, your reputation, your character, your family? Well, the destroy Trump media, they're beyond pathetic. And they deserve now every bit of criticism that they're getting from the president and rational thinking Americans. So, the, I, by, the, by the way, hold on. Go ahead. That history of not being racist. Yeah. 1989, the editorial in New York Daily News against the Central Park Five, basically he, endorsing an author, authoritarian state and saying that these these five innocent folks are all are all yeah, criminals. Essentially themselves. asking for a lynching, a modern day lynching. Well, and even if you look at his recent history, you know, we're not even talking like a long term legacy here. You know. It was not very long ago that he was raving about how Obama, you know, we needed to see his real birth certificate. Is this the real thing? Yeah. You know, when he made his debut, like his, you know, announced that he was running for president, he made really disparaging comments about Mexicans. I mean, it's just, you know, even you don't even have to go back that far uh, to get, you know, these moments from Trump where it would dispute everything that Hannity just said. By the way, um, <laughs> Donald Trump just retweeted. Oh, <laughs> oh no. This is really hard to explain, uh. but I'm going to try. It's an eclipse meme where it's Barack Obama. Oh, my God. <laughs> and Donald Trump edging into a series of four photos where he eclipses Barack Obama. Okay. Donald Trump just retweeted that. So, um, and then Sarah Huckabee Sanders is going to come to the next press briefing and announce that it was a ten-year-old in Indiana and how much he loves the president. Pickle, little pickle. Pickle's actually my dog's name. Is so, it really? Yeah. Oh, Paige, I'm sorry. No, no. Did it ruin it for you? It did not. Pickle's okay. a great dog name. It's a it perfect is, it dog is. name. No, Don't call your child Pickle. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, like, not sure about that. <laughs> I like. I want to know who nicknamed their kid Pickle. And, like, my kids have got weird names. I get it. But, like, I'm not going to call my kid Pickle. It's an unusual name for a human child. But... Come here, little Pickle. Oh, thanks. <laughs> It'll also get you bullied in school. I'm not going to lie. 
Dude, you have to go through school and you, your parents call you Pickle? Maybe he's a, an overly confident child and he just really <laughs> owns Pickle <laughs> in school. You know what I'm I mean? I'm not used to being surrounded by such optimism so early. Good for you. <laughs> I give you a silver lining I or give something. you credit for that. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt with the whole, but you know, Donald Trump with a, an eclipse meme. I mean, Donald Trump tweets are news. They are news. So I just to, just to park it on the on, on the, uh, uh, the final point on this whole media bashing, um, where does this end? I guess because like it, it, how I, my my theory is people are just going to kind of get tired of this. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I'm wrong about a lot, but I just have this feeling that like he's out there playing the greatest hits. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it does end for Trump because with literally any situation, it's the easiest way for him to turn the tables and take the spotlight, at least with his base, take the spotlight off of him and cast it on to someone else. I mean, the easiest way for him to get out of, you know, because a lot of conservatives were even really, you know, skeptical of his response to Charlottesville. And so I think, um, you know, that's just such a tried and true narrative for him. Let's blame the media for everything. And, uh, you know, I wasn't surprised at all when he went back to that during the Arizona rally, um, you know, as far as people getting tired of it, I, you know, I would agree with you that maybe at some point people will grow, it'll grow old for people, but I still, based on my mentions on Twitter, <laughs> I'm still called fake news every single day. So, you know, I still think it's, it's resonating with some people. I don't, I don't know if that's ever going to, if that's going to fade out anytime soon, I guess. I love how the, 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 the fake news thing sort of completely got co-opted and, and eclipsed to steal a, another eclipse pun, but by Donald Trump. Yeah. Like it, for, for a brief moment, it was at, like used to describe a legitimate problem yeah. that we had in media and it got turned around on its head like that. Yeah. It's, it is, it feels like such a meaningless phrase now, but um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't see it going away. Paige, I'm sorry you're stuck here as I read more Donald Trump tweets, oh, but he's tweeting okay. again, and as you said, it is it is uh, uh, news. His tweet just now, the fake news is now complaining about my different types of back-to-back speeches. Well, there was <laughs> Afghanistan, parentheses, somber. Oh, my God. <laughs> comma, the big, capital R, rally. Now, one thing I do have to point out, and I know that people think that this is elitist, but screw those people, he misspelled there. T H E I R. Well, there, possessive, was Afghanistan somber. It's, you know, maybe people do think that's elitist, but the thing is, he has a whole team of people who could proofread. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't get why he doesn't get a little extra help on that stuff, considering his history. I reserve the right to be a little alarmed <laughs> at the fact that the President of the United States can't read or write. I'm sorry. I don't think that's elitist. There, there, and there. It does trip a lot of people up. I, I get that. I've been guilty of that from yeah. time to time. I also am not the President of the United States. True. I don't have 36 million Twitter followers. Here's a really somber part from the Afghanistan speech. When I became president, I was given a bad and very complex hand. When in doubt, blame it on Obama. Yeah. That's how somber, parentheses somber. You wrote about the the Afghanistan situation, which which got kind of, frankly, lost in the, in the, in the, uh, the weird news week that we're having, uh, but 
the base, the Breitbart News faction mm-hmm. of the Trump supporters, they're not super thrilled with this ongoing war in Afghanistan. It no, like. it's I mean, it's it's a flip for Trump from his uh, campaign trail promises and and even pre campaign trail. I mean, he was very critical of Obama on Twitter. I mean, there's a tweet for everything, like everyone says. Yeah. Uh, but you can go pull up tweets where, you know, Trump just insists that we got to get out of there. You know, what is Obama doing? And now he's really just continuing. He's really not doing anything differently than Obama. And so, uh, yeah, I think I think a lot of people in his base are pretty upset about that. Yeah, I mean, it, he's gone back on so many things. You know, I was listening to a clip earlier about, you know, o- Obamacare will be repealed within the first couple of hours of his presidency. <laughs> and here we are. And it's, I mean, the, the whole idea that that's going to be repealed is kind of dead for now. The one thing that he did say during the Afghanistan speech that I was like, okay, was that things are so much different when you're sitting behind the desk of the Oval Office. And I don't know if he, those were empty words coming from him or if he actually realizes that, you know, the decisions you're making when you're in that position are a little bit harder than when you're just firing off tweets as a, you know, civilian citizen. And so, um, so that was one thing that maybe gave me the slightest bit of hope um, but yeah, I mean, the thing is, he can't really, you know, change anything in Afghanistan. You know, you can't pull troops out of there. That would actually make the situation worse. And I think he's realizing that. But for many people, it's just another broken campaign promise. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I know I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush here, but like we are in this war in Afghanistan because of George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Barack Obama certainly kept that going. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know. There is a fight in the like for Donald Trump and the Republicans of like what do you do there, and I think so many Trump voters were ready to see this end mm-hmm. and ready to see this just you know conclude. Well, and not just see it end, but just see anything happen. I mean, you mentioned yeah, Obamacare. Sure. You know, we we are however many months into Trump's presidency now. Uh, and really, the one bragging right he has is Gorsuch. So, which he had you know, nothing to do with, right? So, not uh, one thing. I think that people—it's just like another kick in the pants, kind of. You know, you haven't really gotten anything done so far, and then he comes out with this announcement, and it's the exact opposite of what he said he was going to do. I can understand how people feel disappointed. So, uh, to get back to the Phoenix rally, uh, there in leading up to it, there was all this speculation <laughs> that we were going to see an official pardon well, for Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Yes. Now, for those who do not know who Sheriff Joe Arpaio is, would you please enlighten us? Of course. He is a former sheriff mm-hmm. of Maricopa County, Arizona. I believe he gave himself the nickname America's Toughest Sheriff. <laughs> of course he did. I don't know if someone gave him that. I'm pretty sure he self-coined that. Um but he is just a hardliner on immigration. I mean, he, he his views are very much in line with Trump's on um, immigration. And, and he kind of became famous, really, for the sensationalist approach to to that. And, and, you know, he had these jails that he would run where he would make the inmates wear, like, pink underwear and stuff yeah, like that. It was very yeah. degrading. Um, but anyway, he, uh, he was held in contempt. Uh, basically, he was having his his officers, you know, pull over people, you know, and and kind of target Hispanic and Latino people, you know, in these, um, you know, in these traffic stops. And uh, and the court said he couldn't do that. And then he continued to do it anyway. And he got in trouble for it. Um, you know, he hasn't even been sentenced. I don't think. I think his sentencing was supposed to be no, in he hasn't October. Been sentenced, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, but the way this came about is so strange. Fox News was the first place to report that Trump was considering a pardon for Arpaio. 
Uh, and it just was like the Fox reporter bumped into him at Bedminster at his at his golf club, and Trump was like, "Oh yeah, I really love Sheriff Joe. You know, he's a great patriot." Uh, and he which said is remorse. I mean, it's just insane because it, even a lot of Republicans don't think that about Sheriff Joe. It's insane to it's insane that it's happening now. You know, when there is this big hullabaloo over the way Trump addressed white actual white supremacists, and then you look at Sheriff Joe and sort of his attitude toward other humans and to call him a great patriot and then to not really outright condemn rights of him. It's just, it's, it's just not a good look. All of that happening in the same week is just really incredible. It's crazy. Yeah. And so the optics, as they say, are it, very bad. They're not very they're good. Very bad. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So so at the rally, of course, he pulled a very classic Trump move. I'm not going to say it, but I'll say it type thing, uh, basically saying he's considering a pardon. He didn't want to do it the night of the rally. Because he didn't want to, you know, cause a controversy or something. And it's just, you know, so basically he's saying he's going to do it at some point. Yeah. I mean, the the word was he's not going to do it at the rally. He's not going to do it at the rally. And then he essentially did it at the rally (laughs) where he says he's going to be just fine. Yeah. Going to be just fine. Do you have that clip, Jamie? Where he he essentially tells Sheriff Joe, you're going to get pardoned. He should have had a jury. But you know what? I'll make a prediction. I think he's going to be just fine, okay? I'll make a prediction. <laughs> well, I mean, like, totally showing his hand. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, I mean, he loves he loves to do that, though. I mean, that's that's his thing. So I wasn't surprised to hear that. And then, and then Joe Arpaio goes on Alex Jones' show the next day and takes a victory lap before <laughs> actually getting the pardon. That's what actually makes me mad, is mm-hmm. that they've given room for Joe Arpaio to go out and take a victory lap. Do you have that Alex Jones clip where he's essentially telling Trump to hire him? Well, I want to thank you, uh, Alex, and uh, your staff, uh, Jerry Corsi and Roger Stone, for bringing this uh, story out and reaching the uh, uh, president. The, they just uh, ignore the president's yeah. orders. Maybe he should call you up there to help with that. Well, you know what? I'm not looking for a job. And, uh, you know, when the president calls, everybody says, oh, I have to serve my country. I have to go. Well, that's okay. I, I, I understand that. That's patriotism. However, if he called me, it would be very difficult for me to turn him down. Folks, I love Alex Jones acting like LinkedIn. Folks, <laughs> folks, just forget about anything you ever heard about Sheriff Joe. I want you to hire him immediately. Put him in the White Maybe House. He should call you up there to help with that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with wearing pink underwear. I'm wearing pink underwear right now. You see the tapes. I've seen the tapes. We're all ready to, to embrace this. There ain't nothing wrong with Joe, Sheriff Joe. Put him in the White House. I just like... He's going to get pardoned. He's going to get pardoned. It certainly seems that. I'm going to be Donald Trump here. I'm going to make a prediction. He's <laughs> going to get pardoned. Well, so the CNN says the White House is already preparing the paperwork. Mm-hmm. That's priorities for them. They got so much stuff that needs to be done, and this is what they're focusing on. Yeah. And you know how Trump always brags about all the legislation that the White House has passed and in Phoenix the other night. He said they've got 50 pieces of legislation, mostly, <laughs> mostly symbolic, by the way. I bet he'll add this. To his his without resume, without a doubt, without a checklist, doubt. yeah, without a doubt, and the fact that this is a priority when he was at, when he was handed a mess, as he says. Do you think this was on Steve Bannon's whiteboard, the Ooh. infamous whiteboard <laughs> that showed up in a couple of pictures? You know what I think? I'll tell you what I think. Uh, I think that Trump is just like this is pure Trump. I don't think that this was some mastermind thing. I just think that mm-hmm. like Trump knows who Sheriff Joe is. He's like a fakey, phony media type. Mm-hmm. 
you know? Well, and they have this shared history of birtherism. You oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know. Of course. Yeah, duh. Uh, yeah. He yes. had his back during the yes. That's what it is. Bingo. That's what makes this especially crazy to me is that really like a lot of the crux of their relationship is all about bashing the former president and his legitimacy when it's like, you know, that is so it's just incredible. That's exactly what this is. Yeah. He's he's helping him out because he helped him out during the birthday. And, you know, Governor Paula Page of Maine is surely to be in addition to Trump's administration after he's done with the governorship next year. You know, he's angling for it. He, he goes on and says that the Civil War wasn't about slavery. What was the war? If you really truly read and study the Civil War, it was turned into uh, a battle for the slaves. But initially, I mean, 7,600 Mainers fought for the Confederacy. And they fought because they were concerned about, they were farmers, and they were concerned about their land, their, pro- their, their property. It was a property rights issue. <laughs> you know, I'm not a Civil War historian, but I did grow up in a state that broke away because of the Civil War, yeah. you know. Uh, so I feel like I got to say that I've got a general idea of what it was about, and I don't know if that's it. <laughs> I, 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 like, I've said this before. I grew up in the South. I grew up in South Carolina. I grew up around borderline racist people. <laughs> like, I've heard so many defenses of the Civil War and what the South was doing and states' rights. And you know what's hilarious to me? Are the people out there who have the loudest voice to talk about it, get it, like, they butcher the argument. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I've heard plenty of arguments, right? Mm-hmm. But they, they, like, Paula Page, Donald Trump, all these guys that are out there talking about it now, that's the worst arguments for it. Yeah, well, Trump's argument has really been more about statues than anything, it seems, which is just, that's a real, like, superficial way to do some Civil War talk. He's a war buff. He wants a military parade on Pennsylvania Avenue. Remember when he said that Andrew Jackson could have stopped the Civil War? Remember that? Oh, my God. Remember that? These (laughs) things happen so quickly, man. I know! That that wasn't that that long ago! Paige Lavender, Senior Politics Editor at HuffPost. Thank you for coming. Thank uh, you for having show. It's your first trip. Yay. I hope it won't be your last. I hope not either. Please come back soon, I folks. Will. That is the show for today, Thursday. We'll be back here tomorrow. One more day without Bill. Go get the podcast on iTunes. Just look for The Bill Press Show. We're going to BillPressShow.com. Go to YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show to get highlights from the program all throughout the day. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Thank you so much. This is The Bill Press Show.